Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, to chapter 18. We continue with our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 18. We're going to read from verse 24 through chapter 19, verse 7. That's our text. The topic, Apollos and the twelve disciples of John the Baptist are instructed about the baptism with the Holy Spirit by believers who were themselves empowered by Him to be witnesses. The title of our message, of course, is We've Got Spirit, Yes We Do. We've Got Spirit, How About You? Which is the translation of the Greek phrases in that text. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful to be here this morning and to be able to break open your word, feast upon it, Lord. Oftentimes you describe your word as a food that nourishes our soul, and I pray that it would be really powerful, strong nourishment for us this morning, that we would be full and refreshed and able to go out, Lord, and and put that energy to good use as we share about Jesus Christ with friends and family, especially this time of year, Lord, when uh, focus should really be on Jesus and His first coming into the world, His looking ahead to His second coming. Lord, give us opportunities to share and to be ready to do so and to give an answer to those who would ask of the hope that is in us. May there be a hope in our hearts and a joy, Lord, in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone who agreed said, amen. I have a certain sensitivity when discussing the subject of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It stems from an experience I had early in my Christian walk. Pam and I were given a series of Bible study tapes. They were on the subject of the Holy Spirit. One in particular was on the subject of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The tape kept suggesting that there was a further subsequent experience I could have with the Holy Spirit. I hastily concluded that I was being told I wasn't really saved. We refused to listen to the tapes, indignantly returning them. A short time later, while driving in my car and still fuming over the tapes, 
the Lord impressed upon me the following thought. It was as if he said to me, if there is a baptism with the Holy Spirit, don't you want it? Well, if you put it that way, Lord, of course I do. And the moment I realized there was such an experience, I received it by faith driving in my green 1978 Monte Carlo at the Colton Interchange of Interstates 10 and 15. It's a holy place for me. I don't ever want any believer in Jesus Christ to feel as though they are not saved and therefore not indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, there is a baptism with the Holy Spirit that can be experienced, and it is sometimes received subsequent to salvation. Since there is such a baptism, don't you want it? Well, of course you do. And so I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, you should take the opportunity to explain the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And number two, you should give the opportunity to experience the baptism with the Holy Spirit. First of all, in the rest of chapter 18, verses 24 through 28, take the opportunity to explain. Okay, we don't read that Apollos received the baptism with the Holy Spirit in so many words, but it is more than implied. Apollos and the 12 disciples in Ephesus had in common that each knew only the baptism of John the Baptist. Aquila and Priscilla would have told Apollos exactly what Paul told the 12 disciples in Ephesus. Apollos would have received the baptism with the Holy Spirit just as they did, just as all believers did in the book of Acts. Luke purposely explained the two events differently to emphasize two aspects of the same truth. The emphasis with Apollos is the explanation that he was given by Aquila and Priscilla. This experience was explained to him more fully. And so back in verse 24... Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. Eloquent can refer to his speaking ability, but it also translates as the word learned. And so Apollos was a really smart guy who could really explain the Scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. In verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. There's a lot packed into that that tells you where Apollos was coming from. Some disciple of John the Baptist had evidently traveled as far as Alexandria, Egypt, and encountered Apollos, probably in a synagogue, and instructed him there. The message of John the Baptist was to prepare the way of the Lord because the Messiah was about to be revealed. Apollos received the instruction and submitted to what was called the baptism of John. It was a water baptism that publicly declared you were repenting of sin, preparing yourself to receive the Messiah when he was revealed. And so John the Baptist, you remember from the Gospels, he went around saying, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And then he talked about the coming of the Messiah. He said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then he would baptize Jews who were never baptized. I mean, to us, baptism is a normal thing. You get saved, you get baptized as an outward show of the inward work. But Jews didn't get baptized. There was a lot of ceremonial washing among Jews. But only proselytes into the Jewish faith got baptized. And so if you were a Jew getting baptized, you were saying that you weren't quite ready to receive the Messiah. 
And so this was a big phenomena in his time. And so Apollos had come under this teaching to prepare the way of the Lord. He received that baptism of John and was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Wherever Apollos went after that, he fervently and accurately told the Jews to prepare the way of the Lord and submit to the baptism of John. So he became a good disciple of John. In verse 26, it says, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, this was in a time before, you know, Fox News could break into your broadcast and tell you what was happening all over the world. And Apollos hadn't heard about what happened to John or that John had identified Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He didn't know about Jesus at all. And so uh, here he was preaching in the synagogue. Visitors to the synagogues were often asked to deliver the weekly sermon. And Apollos delivered his talk about preparing for the coming of the Messiah. Aquila and Priscilla knew the rest of the story. The Messiah had come. John the Baptist had identified Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus had then gone to the cross as our substitute and our sacrifice. He had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, and he had sent the promised baptism with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and the church was growing and expanding throughout the Roman Empire. And so Aquila and Priscilla invited Apollos to go to lunch with them at Panera, and they filled him in. Maybe Quiznos. Uh, I have been, I have to admit, I have been going back to Quiznos a little bit. They have those little Sammies now that are, you know. Have you tried their little Sammies? Yeah. You have to eat five of them, but they're really good. <laughs> and so they took him aside. They, you know, in, in a, you know, they didn't interrupt him or, you know, they just took him aside and gently uh, began to build a relationship with him and they filled him in on all the things that he didn't know. And we can only imagine his excitement. He was a sincere individual who knew only that much and when he had the full story, we see that he gets really excited. Now, I want you to notice that Aquila and Priscilla explained the way of God more accuracy, accurately. Excuse me. They didn't nullify everything Apollos believed. In fact, we would say that Apollos was saved before he encountered Aquila and Priscilla. He was saved in the same way all people were saved before Jesus rose from the dead. He believed God's promise of a coming Messiah, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And so he was justified by grace through faith as he looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. Now it was revealed to him more fully, and he would have been born again and receive the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit. Either simultaneously or subsequently, he would have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Somewhere in all that, he would have submitted to Christian water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. It appears that those who had been baptized by John went on to get saved once they heard the gospel, and they were baptized uh, in the name of Jesus. We wouldn't really call it a rebaptism. Uh, it's just that the baptism of John was for something completely different. And so all of these things would have happened to Apollos because these are the things that always happened in the first century. It happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the thousands of people believed. It happened in Samaria in Acts chapter 8 when there was a great revival. It happened at the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 when the gospel went to the Gentiles for the first time. 
And in chapter 19, it will happen again to folks who were in the exact same condition as Apollos. And so in verse 27, and when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Apollos ended up in Corinth, the capital of the province of Achaia. He greatly edified the church, and he evangelized the non-believing Jews. He focused his message on what he himself had recently learned, that Jesus is the Christ, introduced by John the Baptist and promised in the Scriptures. Now, the emphasis in the Apollo story is on explanation. He was deficient in his knowledge about Jesus and all things subsequent to Jesus. Once explained to him, he received it by faith, and he went forward with the power of the Holy Spirit promised by the Lord. I know that he had a new empowering because the words that are used where it talks about him vigorously refuting the Jews publicly carry the idea in the original language that not only he could out-reason them, but his reasoning brought a moral uh, conviction to their hearts. And, and there's a sense of his teaching them and preaching to them and reasoning with them had an accompanying of the Holy Spirit with him, or with it rather. And so the explanation brought him to that place of fullness in his understanding. I think a lot of believers need to have the baptism with the Holy Spirit explained to them still. Many people are taught that there is no baptism with the Holy Spirit. I have an office full of books. I have a computer full of downloaded books. I love to read commentaries and see uh, what's happening there. And I would say roughly 90% of biblical commentators, those who get published, are what we would consider conservative. They're good, solid guys. They have a lot of great things to say. Uh, but they all deny any subsequent baptism with the Holy Spirit uh, in the modern Christian era. Uh, and so when they get to these passages about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, they spend pages defending their position that that was an experience for a transitional time in the church. It had to do with Jews becoming Christians or Samaritans and Jews or Gentiles and Jews, and, and that really doesn't happen anymore. You just get saved and you get everything that you're ever going to get, so don't, don't even worry about that. And actually, if you start to think there's a baptism with the Holy Spirit, the next thing you know, you're going to be a rabid Pentecostal. You're just going to start foaming the Holy Spirit at the mouth. And so, uh, you know, and, and, you know, it's, but that's, you know, if you, some of you have picked up Bible commentaries and, and uh, you might have noticed that, that, you know, that instead of talking about the experience, they talk about the non-experience. It doesn't exist anymore. Don't even think about it. It's a closed issue. On the other hand, many have been taught that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is an experience, but it's an experience of losing control of yourself and manifesting wild, crazy behavior during a church service. And this would be more in the Pentecostal uh, charismatic range of things. And, and so if you grow up in a Pentecostal church uh, where they love the Lord and are you know, trying to serve the Lord, nevertheless, oftentimes, 
uh, based on an, an erroneous understanding of what was going on in the church at Corinth. Their worship builds and builds and builds until there's greater and greater noise, and then at the end of the singing, everybody is shouting in, in uh, tongues. They're all speaking at once in tongues and uh, prophesying and screaming, and, and um, you know, once that gets old, then they start running around, and, and there's always some new experience leading all the way to a few years ago where people down in Florida and up in Toronto, Canada were barking like dogs and laughing uncontrollably. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. Really? Where do you see that in the Bible? Ah, who cares? It's just really cool. And I've seen videos of it, you know, <laughs> people just laughing and kind of falling off of their chairs and stuff like that. And they say, what is that? Well, that's the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just comes on you and he grabs a hold of you, I guess, and just, it's like shaken Christian syndrome or something, you know? I mean, once, once the Holy Spirit comes, you're, you're gone, man. He just, you know, and stuff. Holy Spirit's got me, let me go, you know, and stuff. And he's some, you know, crazy, whacked out third party of the Trinity that just can't wait to blow your mind. And so, and so that to them is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Pentecostal looks over at the conservative sitting there with his Bible carefully in his lap and his notes and his 17 different color markers, you know, and they think, man, you have no power in your life. Everything is up here and there's nothing up here. And the conservative looks over at the Pentecostal and thinks, you are nuts. Uh, and in many cases, they are in, in a spiritual sense. And so there's that warfare, and so the divide gets greater, and, and so this, this is how the modern world understands this experience. And sadly, that's not at all what we're taught anywhere in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, or anywhere else. Uh, so uh, what are we saying? I'm saying that once the baptism of the Holy Spirit is explained from Scripture, that it's a scriptural relationship with the Holy Spirit you require in order to empower your witness, then it can be received by faith and you can start appreciating its power to serve the Lord. Jesus told the uh, 120 believers gathered on the, uh, in the upper room to wait for the power that would come upon them on the day of Pentecost because they could do no ministry without that baptism with the Holy Spirit. And then as we'll see in a little while, as you follow that experience through the book of Acts, though it happens differently at different times, it still happens. And, and that, that word, Acts 1-8, that's still for today. You, you know, you, we need that power, and it's not to be denied uh, because we're too conservative to open our hearts and minds to it, neither is it to be... Uh, some kind of a crazy thing that drives people away because we are acting crazy. Uh, and so that's what we're saying. So the explanation is important. Now, as we go into chapter 19, you should give the opportunity to experience the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Meanwhile, the Apostle Paul started on what is called by scholars his third missionary journey, and it was that, but it's interesting to note that he went to no new territory. It was more of a return trip to exhort the churches he had previously founded. I like to call it the Be Strengthened Tour because he went to strengthen believers in their walk. I don't know if he had little handbills that he passed out or anything, you know, like we would do today. Paul the Apostle and the Be Strengthened Tour. Uh, but uh, he, he went about strengthening the churches that he had established. And so in verse 1, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, 
Did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Paul could tell immediately something was missing from their witness. Um, I've had experiences like this where you're talking to somebody and they say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, and then you're talking to him and there's just, I don't know if it's a discernment God gives you or there's something, uh, you know, and then you find out that they're, they really belong to a cult or that they think they're Christians because they were born in America or something like that. And so, you know, but of course, Paul, you know, he was a discerning guy and, and this great apostle, and he could tell that there was something not quite right. These guys were going around, they're talking about being believers, uh, but there was something missing. Now, the wording of his question, I think itself is insightful as to his own theology of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know yet that they are disciples of John the Baptist, that comes in a moment. He thinks that they're believers or they portray themselves as believers and he assumes they're believers in Jesus Christ. And evidently, Paul then thought it was possible to believe but not yet have received the Holy Spirit because that's the gist of his question. Since Paul himself will later write, to the Corinthian church, no one can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He must have meant that you can be born again and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but not yet have received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So Paul's question basically is this. He's assuming that they are uh, believers who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and he says, well, have you guys received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Now, the answer they gave Paul was equally insightful. Since they were disciples of John the Baptist, they would have heard a lot about the Holy Spirit. Remember, I referenced this earlier. This was John's message. John didn't have a lot to say. He told people to repent, to make uh, straight the way of the Lord, because the Lord was coming who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And you couldn't be a disciple of John and not know at least that much. You might not know that John was beheaded. You might not know that Jesus was pointed out by John and all that subsequently happened, but you would know those things. And so when they said, we don't know about the Holy Spirit, they meant they hadn't heard whether he had been given as promised in the Old Testament and by John. Then they must have said something about baptism, so Paul asked them what they meant by it, and he said to them, well, wait a minute, into what then were you baptized? So they said, well, into John's baptism, of course. Okay, so these guys are just like Apollos. They were saved, but it was in the Old Testament sense of having not yet been born again. The Holy Spirit hadn't come to live in their hearts. Then Paul said in verse 4, Well, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, and that is on Jesus Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so just like with Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos, Paul gave these guys the rest of the story. At this point, they must have been born again, therefore indwelt with the Holy Spirit, or else Paul would never have baptized them in water. For Paul, water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ followed your conversion to Jesus Christ, and conversion to Jesus Christ meant that the Holy Spirit lived in your heart. 
And so now these born again, saved, water baptized disciples who were being indwelt by the Holy Spirit had a further experience of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. We must therefore conclude that there is a scriptural distinction between believing and being baptized with the Holy Spirit, that you can be saved and not yet be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When you believe He comes in you, the baptism is His coming upon you to empower your witness. In the case of the 12, the baptism with the Holy Spirit was accompanied by speaking in tongues and they also prophesied. If you put all the episodes of folks receiving the baptism with the Holy Spirit together, you see a wide diversity of experiences. Back on the day of Pentecost, the believers were suddenly baptized with the Holy Spirit as a noise from heaven that sounded like a mighty rushing wind filled the house. Tongues of fire sat upon each of the disciples and they began to speak of the wonderful works of God in known foreign languages that they had never learned. Then in Samaria, in Acts chapter 8, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was imparted to believers subsequent to their being born again and water baptized. Philip had gone to Samaria, preached the gospel, people got saved and baptized. Then Peter and John came down and laid their hands on them. They received the baptism with the Holy Spirit, but no special manifestations like tongues or prophecy are mentioned in that passage. Then at the house of Cornelius... The listeners were baptized with the Holy Spirit simultaneously while Peter was speaking and they got saved. They spoke with tongues and then afterwards they were water baptized. Apollos was certainly baptized with the Holy Spirit. No details are given except that it happened quietly and by faith in response to the explanation of Aquila and Priscilla. The 12 disciples at Ephesus were saved, water baptized, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands, then manifested His coming upon them with tongues and prophecy. So what do we conclude from all this? That God loves variety, for one thing. We do not, if we're honest. We want to reduce things to their lowest common denominator. We want to systematize things. And this is one reason why... It is a struggle for commentators and scholars to deal with this issue of the baptism with the Holy Spirit because it seems like it happens differently. I compare it to Jesus healing when he was on the earth. He didn't always heal the same way. So he could heal from a distance by speaking the word and someone would be healed. He could touch someone and they would be healed. They could touch him without him knowing it at first and they would be healed. Or he could pick up some dirt, spit on it, make a mud paste and put it on your eyes and you would be healed. And so you can't really get a handle on how to heal people. It's a work of God. It's all within the framework of who Jesus was and what he generally does, but there wasn't one single methodology. The same is true in a different way with this experience of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. If you pull back from the book of Acts, you have to say that it is an experience, that it is a necessary experience that every Christian requires, but in terms of when and how you receive it, it's all over the map. It has a lot, and, and aren't we all over the map? I mean, let's, give me, I'll give you a case. When I was, when the kids were little uh, and they were going to Christian school, 
I used to go in and do a devotion every now and then uh, in one of the classes. And I remember I used to, you know, try and establish a rapport with the kids. And I asked the kids once, I say, what'd you do this weekend? You know, before we get into our little lesson here, what'd you guys do? And I think it was like third grade. And I remember this one little girl saying that they had gone to this particular revival meeting. Well, it was, a, it was with an individual who we would consider a health and wealth, whacked out, Pentecostal craziness kind of a thing, uh, you know. And, and, and so I, I was interested, and I said, well, what happened at, at the meeting? And she's like, how old are you in the third grade? Eight. She's eight years old, and she starts explaining to me how that she was slain in the Spirit as the Holy Spirit came upon her, and she fell down and, and started writhing around on the ground and things like that. Did that really happen? Sure, it really happened. And you know what? She grew up probably thinking that that is normative for Christian uh, life, that that's what you do if you're a Christian. Because from the time that she was small, she was exposed to a kind of Pentecostal Christianity that teaches that the Holy Spirit comes upon you and takes control of you and shakes you around. And so by the time she becomes an adult, uh, she is probably going to be deeply entrenched in that kind of thinking. Uh, and, and so, you know, she's going to say, hey, this is how you receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and that's the problem. That's the problem because sometimes we have to pull away and say, what does the Bible actually say about this? And if I can't get a complete handle on it, I need to say what the Bible says and no more and no less. And, and so it's very, very interesting. On the other end of the spectrum, the conservative people grow up in a conservative church. There is no baptism with the Holy Spirit. If you believe in that, you're going to become crazy like this little girl. Uh, and here are 15 different ways we explain away this baptism experience. It was only for the first century. It was only for these people. There's no miracles. There's no signs. There's no wonders. There's nothing like that. Don't think there's any more for you. This is exactly how things happen all the time. One, two, three, and you're done. And so it's a very difficult thing for us to let the Holy Spirit just enlighten us, have this explained to us, and then maybe experience this. And so in verse 7, it says, now the men were about 12 in all. 12 men. Now think about that for a minute. That means Paul would have had to lay his hands on them one at a time. It wasn't just one person he could pray for. It was a group of 12. And so he had to go one man to one man and lay his hands on them. He undoubtedly prayed over them uh, as he did. It emphasizes to me that they were given an opportunity to experience this relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now we have to be careful we can't teach that this is always how it's done. Uh, in a minute, we're gonna give you an opportunity, some of you, if you want to, to come forward and to be prayed for because that happened in the New Testament. But it didn't always happen that way. And so we can't fall into a habit either of saying, well, you know, did you come forward on a Sunday and did we lay hands on you? Well, there it is. You know, that's how it happens. Uh, and, and so here's the bottom line. You might have received the baptism with the Holy Spirit simultaneously with your salvation because that happened in the book of Acts. You might have received it subsequently sometime after you were saved because that happened in the book of Acts. Maybe it was accompanied by certain manifestations because that happened in the book of Acts. Maybe nothing really happened outwardly because that also happened in the book of Acts. Or maybe you've never received it because it's not been explained to you 
as a scriptural relationship you require in order to be empowered as a witness for Jesus Christ, or you've never received it properly because it was explained and then example to you as some weird, out-of-control charismania. And it hasn't really done anything for your witness. It just um, makes you feel like you're worshiping God in some strange way. Well, you can receive it today if you have never received it, right where you sit. You can receive it later in your car or at home as you just pray with the Lord. You might be having the experience that I had when I was a young believer and thinking, hey, I'm, I'm not into this. I, I, don't, I don't want that. And the Lord may have to break through to you and speak to you and say, hey, w- what is it that I've ever done for you that you don't want? And if there is such an experience to empower your witness, wouldn't you want that? And you'll find that it's received by faith when you realize it is Jesus empowering you for your witness. And as we said, sometimes it's received as you are prayed for by other believers. And so we're going to give you the chance to do that. I would say in closing, since there is such a baptism to be received, don't you want it? Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you so much for these things. And um, as I said earlier, Lord, I'm always tentative, hesitant, sensitive in sharing this because it's, uh, it's inherently difficult to uh, describe and yet your word is pretty clear uh, about it, Lord. We've attempted to explain, and now we want people to experience this wonderful touch from you, this, this understanding that you want to empower them uh, for their witness. It's not gonna be something, Lord, that uh, where we lose control, uh, but it's not gonna be something, Lord, where we think we know everything either. It's just this wonderful promise this gifting of the Spirit, Lord, that uh, gives power to our witness. And so I just pray that each of us would, as we worship, just spend time being honest before you, uh, seeking you. It's not a matter of personal holiness even, Lord. It's just a matter of receiving by faith. This morning, Lord, as we sit in our seats or as we come forward to be prayed for, that we would know that we've by faith received what you promised you would send after you ascended from heaven and that we would walk in that. If you want to manifest yourself, Lord, by giving us gifts, that's great. Uh, But uh, Lord, what we really want from it is to have a new, fresh power to share you with others. And so we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. We're going to worship a little bit this morning. And uh, just have that kind of an atmosphere of praise. And while we do, uh, as soon as we begin to sing, if, if you do want to come forward and be prayed for, that'd be great. The guys are here and they'd love to lay hands on you and pray for you. Uh, it's one of the ways that people receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. But uh, spend some time with the Lord and know in your heart that you've asked the Lord to come upon you and to uh, fall upon you in that way so that your witness can be empowered as you go out to serve him. And so let's worship. And if you want to be prayed for, come forward.